1972, my father completed his service with the U.S. Navy. And at the time, he was young and single and had a little bit of money saved up. And so he decided to embark on a journey hiking all 2,100 miles of the Appalachian Trail. He selected the boots and backpack and the gear that he needed for his adventure, but he still had to figure out how to get there. So he bought a car for $500 and drove it from his mom's house in Nebraska to Springer Mountain in Georgia, where the trail begins. And he sold that same car in a Georgia parking lot for $500 to use as his emergency fund. And over the next nine months, he hiked through 14 states on a 2,100-mile journey towards the summit of Mount Katahdin in Maine. But unfortunately, he arrived in Maine during the winter, and the last 25 miles to reach the summit of Mount Katahdin had been closed due to heavy ice and snow. And for the last 42 years, my father has felt the urge to complete those last 25 miles, and I have promised him that I will go with him one day and complete the journey that he started. Now on this adventure, my father took thousands of pictures, eventually turning it into a slideshow. And my own love of the outdoors was born during the many times that he walked me through this slideshow. And from these pictures, the nature that he was immersed in was in a continual process of transformation as he crossed state to state and as the seasons changed, as did the terrain. Now, as the nature around him changed, there was also a great deal of personal transformation that he was undergoing. He will readily admit that the time that he spent alone on that 2,100-mile journey was a pivotal moment in his life. It instilled a deep awareness of how transformation is continually taking place around us and taking place within us. And in the midst of that transformative process, God's presence can manifest itself in ways that were once hidden. Now, my father always loved the outdoors, but a deep desire to be immersed in it occurred while he was stationed in San Francisco. And it was there where he was introduced to the writings by the great conservationist John Muir. The awe and wonder in which Muir wrote about nature is what inspired my father to leave his Navy base each weekend. He would either hitchhike or take a bus to go experience what John Muir had written so beautifully about in the Sierra Nevada mountains just a few hours away. Now, John Muir was largely responsible for preserving what is now Yosemite National Park. By carefully exploring and documenting this vast wilderness, he helped draw up its proposed boundaries in 1889. And he then provided the articles leading to its official designation in 1890, and then co-founded the Sierra Club in 1892 to protect it. And many people refer to Muir as the patron saint of Yosemite. For him, nature was a primary source for understanding God. His church was the mountain, his worship was curiosity and reverence, and his theology was listening to God's voice in the symphony of the forest. I think that many parallels can be drawn from today's readings as God's presence becomes manifest to those journeying up a mountain. 
Now, I was fortunate to spend last week at Yosemite National Park. The legal team from my wife's company was there for a conference. Although my son was not as impressed with Yosemite as I may have expected. One morning, I carried him on a three-mile hike to see the highest measured waterfall in North America. And to give you an idea of its size, if you were to take the Empire State Building and then stack another one directly on top of it, the waterfall would still be towering over both. And so as Oliver and I arrived at the base of the falls, my arms were burning from carrying him. And Oliver took one glance and then played with a stick for the next 30 minutes. <laughs> now the setting for our reading in Exodus and Matthew's Gospel today take place on a mountain. And they were accompanied by some rather strange but mystical experiences. Exodus records Moses journeying up Mount Sinai when suddenly a cloud engulfs the mountain for six days. And on the seventh day, God's presence appears in the form of a devouring fire. And this strange account ends with Moses entering the cloud and remaining there for 40 days and 40 nights. In our Gospel reading today, we find Peter, James, and John following Jesus up a mountain where they experience his transfiguration. This experience was recorded that Jesus' face became illuminated like the sun. The brightness of this light also caused his clothes to appear dazzling white. Now clearly, these were powerful, yet strange experiences that would be a challenge for anyone to explain. And the difficulty of explaining such an event causes the skeptic in me to immediately want to shift focus and rationalize the story into something much more palatable. But today, that's not the case. Last week, I was introduced to the many ways in which Yosemite National Park is a photographer's paradise. But one particular week each year draws photographers from around the world to capture an elusive shot known as Fire on the Mountain. And photographers gather in droves at the base of a 3,000-foot slab of granite known as El Capitan. And for one week a year, for a few brief minutes, nature puts on an amazing display. When the sun begins to set at just the right angle, Bystanders at the base are standing in complete darkness, yet all 3,000 feet of the waterfall glows with the brightest colors of blaze orange and blaze red. And so suddenly the waterfall becomes transformed and it appears as if molten lava is pouring down the mountain. Now if I hadn't experienced it myself last week, then my skepticism would have probably dismissed it. Fully describing such an event and its impact is an impossible task, but to experience it is deeply moving. As everyone gathered and waited at the base of the mountain to take their photographs, there was a lot of laughing, a lot of talking, and a lot of joking. But once this grand display of nature began, there was nothing but silence. And it was a collective experience of awe and wonder. And you could capture that moment with a camera, but you could not fully capture it using words. 
And about experiences like this, John Muir says that you may call that intelligence what you please. I cannot see why so many people object to calling it God. Now for me, this experience at Yosemite challenged my own skepticism to better embrace accounts from Scripture that may seem strange. It helped me to see that Transfiguration Sunday, which we celebrate today, is about a veil being lifted, even if only for a moment. At Jesus' Transfiguration on the mountain, the veil was lifted as his disciples witnessed him surrounded by uncreated light, the very light of God illuminating his form and consciousness. And as this veil was lifted, Jesus' disciples were given a glimpse into his unique identity, into his true identity. And it was a pivotal moment in the life of the disciples as they came face to face with Jesus' divinity. Now, it may have been challenging for the disciples to describe exactly what had taken place, but maybe we don't always need to. The way that their lives were changed after coming down from that mountain is the way that they communicated their experience. And through the darkest of times, even witnessing Jesus' execution, they were empowered to continue their ministries. So in the end, I believe that whether we are immediately aware of it or not, transfiguration is taking place all around us. And God's presence can become manifest in countless ways, and we don't always have to put it into words. Sometimes we simply have to experience it and then let our lives tell the story. In just a few days, we will begin our Lenten journey together a time that is set apart for intentional focus. And this intentional focus helps open our eyes and our hearts to the often unseen reality of God's presence that surrounds us continually. In this Lent, I hope that the veil is lifted for each of us, even if only for a moment. Amen.